Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I am your host, and this is the show where we talk all things college basketball until the end of the Final Four, the road will end there. But even after, you know we'll be talking more college basketball. You just know I had to say that because we are almost at the Final Four as we crowned the first four teams that will be heading into the Elite Eight last night. We will crown another four tonight. Congratulations to Gonzaga, UConn, Florida Atlantic, and Kansas State. All four of those teams will be playing at least one more game. And what a night of basketball it was. I wanted to give you guys a podcast this morning with some reactions on these games because I didn't have the opportunity to record on Wednesday. I was actually at Madison Square Garden for the media day and the practice sessions of the East Regional. I was around all four teams, Kansas State and Michigan State and Florida Atlantic and Tennessee, and I have a bunch of thoughts. And let's start on that East Regional. And I know the game that everyone is talking about from last night is Gonzaga, UCLA. And trust me, we'll get into that. I have some thoughts. But I wanted to talk about the games I was actually in attendance for first. And we have to start off with the first game. It was actually the first game of this NCAA tournament that went to overtime. Kansas State, number three seed in the East, beats Michigan State, the number seven seed, 98-93. to And they do it behind one of the all-time great performances, in my opinion, in NCAA tournament history. Marquise Noel drops 20 points, 19 assists to lead Kansas State to the victory. And with Noel, it's crazy, right? Anyone who's watched Kansas State this season knew that he was capable of doing this. The Wildcats had a couple games early in the non-conference portion, or early in the Big 12 uh, portion of the schedule, excuse me, where they went to Texas and to Baylor in a four- or three-day stretch and came away with two victories on the road. And Noel went off in both games. And we saw just how dynamic this Kansas State offense looks when he's on, when he's at his best. Also, Keontae Johnson, one of the best stories, probably the best story in college basketball this season after he collapsed when he was a member of the Florida Gators just about two seasons ago, and his basketball future was in jeopardy. There were a lot of people asking, who would take this guy in the transfer portal? Is he ever going to play basketball again? And he's come back in a big way. He has 22 points last night, 10 of 18 from the field, and this play that Kansas State runs – where Marquise Noel, he has the ball dribbling it out at the top of the key. It looks like him and Jerome Tang are screaming at each other, and that fakes out Michigan State. Johnson is wide open off the back cut for the alley-oop, and Kansas State, when that happened, I kind of got the feeling in my head that they were just not going to lose this game. They also ran the same play, not the coach's argument part, but the back cut for a dunk to beat Kansas earlier this season, and I remember watching Kansas State, that was the game where it hit me like, okay, this team is legit. This team could beat anyone in any given night. And in an East region, that included a really good number one seed in Purdue. I know we joke fun, but they were a really good team with Zach Eady, the National Player of the Year. Marquette was a number two seed in this East region. They were really good. We saw what they were able to do in the Big East regular season and tournament. Both of those teams were knocked out. We also had the two Blue Bloods, Duke. Kentucky, both of those teams were knocked out before the first weekend. Memphis, the team I picked to come out of the East region, I kind of had the right feeling that this East region was about to blow up. Unfortunately, I picked the wrong team in the 8-9 game. 
uh, and Memphis had that game one, but we're going to get into FAU a little bit later. Uh, so all these big name, high profile teams, Michigan State, they're also included. They get knocked out and Kansas State is the last team remaining at the bottom of the bracket and they will be heading to the Elite Eight. What a job by Jerome Tang. This guy is beating John Calipari and Tom Izzo in back-to-back tournament games in only his first season as a head coach. And we would always hear a lot about just how important Tang was to the Baylor run under Scott Drew. Of course, they win the national championship in 2021. They did a lot of great things. Jerome Tang was also an assistant. Check this. Wow. You guys want to hear something crazy? So the last time the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight were at Madison Square Garden, the two t- two of the teams that lost and participated, Baylor, they were a three seed, and Florida, they were, I believe, a number five seed, yes, or a uh, number four seed, I should say, in the 2017 NCAA tournament. South Carolina ended up winning both games at MSG and going to the Final Four. But listen to this. South Carolina, in their first Sweet 16 game at MSG in 2017, they beat Baylor, and Jerome Tang was on the sidelines for Baylor in that game, of course, as a longtime assistant coach under Scott Drew. The next game, South Carolina beat Florida after Chris Chioza hit that epic buzzer beater to beat Wisconsin. And Florida had an assistant coach at the time named Dusty May. And now both of those guys are going to be facing off for a trip to go to the Final Four. This is what makes college basketball the best. But wow, what a performance by Kansas State. They had two different scores with Noel and Johnson scoring over 20. And there's another guy for Kansas State that I have to shout out that without him, they do not win this game, and that is Ish Masood. He plays 27 minutes, has 15 points off the bench, and not only in this game, but also in the round of 32 game against Kentucky as well. This kid just hit a number of big-time clutch shots that really gave Kansas State the win. Like, there were at least a few shots Masood hit. He goes four of six from three in this game. There were just a, at least a few shots he hit, including the two, uh, like a, a long two, to put Kansas State up three in the final 15 seconds, and the Wildcats end up finding a way to win. But wow, this was one of the better tournament games I've seen lately. It was an honor to be in the building for it, the first overtime game of this NCAA tournament, and Kansas State gets the job done. Jerome Tang put together a roster full of winners, guys that came from winning programs, and the only two guys from the Bruce Weber era that decided to stay in Manhattan, Noel and Ishmael they are really the two main reasons, along with Keontae Johnson, why this Kansas State team is still alive and why they're going to be heading to the Elite Eight. I'm so happy for everyone in Manhattan. And another thing about the Kansas State basketball program that I don't think everyone necessarily realizes, this program has had a lot of success in the NCAA tournament. Now, they have been to the Elite Eight. Listen to this. Not once, not twice, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven. They have been to the Elite Eight, wait for it, 14 times. However, they have only been to the Final Four four times, and they haven't been there since 1964. So Kansas State, listen to this, they are 0-7 in their last seven Elite Eight games. Can the curse finally be broken? We will see. But man, when you look at this Kansas State team, And the job Jerome Tang has done. They were finished to pick in last place. They were picked to finish in last place in the Big 12 Conference prior to the season starting. And rightfully so, considering they had a first-year head coach. They didn't really return a lot. But Jerome Tang, 
is that dude. And you're beating Calipari and Izzo back-to-back games in your first ever NCAA tournament. I don't care how down Michigan State and Kentucky are compared to their normal, usual standards. Like, wow. What a run by Kansas State. I also wanted to give a shout-out to Michigan State's guards, Tyson Walker, A.J. Hogard, Jordan Aikens, all those guys played incredible. And I feel like when you look at the stat line for Michigan State, most of the time when you get these performances, you just find a way to win. Hogard was phenomenal. He finishes with 25 points, 7 of 14 from the field, 10 of 11 from the free throw line. Uh, Tyson Walker has 16, including the game-tying bucket at the end of regulation. I'm a big fan of him. I'm hoping we could get maybe one more year of college basketball for T-Walk. I don't know if we will, but uh, 16 points for him. Jay Nakins hit a number of big threes. He had 14. And the one guy I feel for on Michigan State, uh, really the whole team, but Tyson Walker, you got to feel for. And also Joey Hauser. Like, I think he did a really good job this season proving a lot of people that just wrote him off wrong. Hauser had 18 points in this game, finishes four of nine from three. He's a really good player. And he said after the game that he should have taken the final shot. And that's going to be one he's just going to have to live with. And honestly, I saw where he, I saw his vision. Like he had Malik Hall open. Hall didn't shoot the ball. Kansas State, they come away with the steal and the win. And just what a phenomenal game at Madison Square Garden. Marquise Noel break or tying the, or yeah, he broke it. The all-time assist record in one NCAA tournament game with 19. He also had five steals, so making plays on the defensive end. And the thing about Noel, too, this guy rolled his ankle. There was a, a, a moment there early in the game where we thought he was done. But Mr. New York City was not going to leave and not come back at Madison Square Garden. This was his first time playing there. What a performance. And the thing that makes this game coming up against Florida Atlantic so interesting is that both of these teams have felt like teams of destiny for throughout the whole tournament, I would say. You know, Florida Atlantic had an epic win over Memphis to kick things off, and that's catapulted them to another two more victories. We've seen what Kansas State has done. Games like this, moments like this, is what makes the NCAA tournament so, so good. Congratulations to Jerome Tang and the Wildcats for going to their first Elite Eight in their first year on staff. Had some thoughts on the next game in the East region, and I have to say, I just feel for you Tennessee fans, because unlike a lot of the national media, you saw this coming. Florida Atlantic, they get the victory over Tennessee after trailing for the majority of the game, or really the majority of the first half, I should say. The Owls win it 62-55, to and This was just the same exact story we've seen at many times from this Tennessee team this season. Against Duke, I think Rick Barnes did a really good job establishing a game plan right away, and Duke basically quit. They did not want to deal with Tennessee's physicality. Unfortunately, Florida Atlantic, they're a better outside shooting team, but they're tougher, and and that's a lot of credit to their head coach, Dusty May, who is incredible And honestly, he is a rising star in this industry, and it's looking like he's going to stay at FAU next year because really a lot of his players could be back as well. Like, there is a chance that basically this whole Florida Atlantic team is back next year. Obviously, in the world of the transfer portal and NIL, nothing is ever certain, but this Florida Atlantic team is special, and they are now 34-3, and the best mid-major team in the country this season, they are living up to the hype on the biggest stage, which is great for the NCAA tournament. 
they were a decent amount of FAU fans there last night making noise, but Tennessee, I would say, had the largest number of fans by far. The Owls were led by John L. Davis with 15 points. He goes 9 of 10 from the free throw line. Nick Boyd, who's very quickly turning into one of my favorite players in this tournament, he was the one that hit the clutch layup to beat Memphis in the first round. But the game really changed here. Michael Forrest, a guard that comes off the bench for Florida Atlantic. And another thing I'll say about FAU, they are so hard to guard because they play one big man and then everyone else around that big man on the floor has the ability to knock down the three-point shot. Greenlee, he hit a couple big threes in this game. Boyd hit a couple. Elijah Martin hit a couple. Like anyone on the floor not in the middle that's the big man for FAU could make a shot and that's what makes them so difficult to guard. And Forrest... He had a personal 8-0 run in the second half. FAU has a team. They uh, had an 18-2 run in the second half at one point. And in total, after trailing by five in the first half, Florida Atlantic outscores Tennessee 40-28 to in the second half. And I remember after the first 20 minutes, it did feel like Tennessee outplayed Florida Atlantic for the majority of the first half. But at the same time, they felt a little bit fortunate because Florida Atlantic was missing a ton of open threes. It it felt like, honestly, a similar script to the Memphis game where Memphis, it felt like they were the better team for most of the first half, but they got a little bit fortunate that Florida Atlantic was a little bit off on their shots. With that being said, they still found a way to stay in the game. And the thing that makes me so impressed about this FAU team is they are now 10-2 and in games decided by five points or less after going 0-8 last year in those same exact situations. And that is coaching, in my opinion. Dusty May has done a tremendous job with this FAU team. And when you look at this matchup against Kansas State, and by the way, I actually butchered that. They are 10-1 this season in games decided by five points or less, not 10-2. So apologize there. But this FAU team, I'm so impressed with them. What a moment on the biggest stage. It really feels to me that they're confident they belong here. And they give me some major Loyola Chicago vibes, like a team with the script jerseys that not a bunch of people have heard of coming into this tournament. And I know they play in Boca Raton, a place where everyone would want to go. But man, Dusty May, he has the potential to build this program into the next big thing on the mid-major level. Conference USA is also a really good conference with teams like UAB, teams like uh, Charlotte, and teams like North Texas that had deep runs in their respective uh, postseasons with two uh, teams from Conference USA making it to the NIT. And this FAU team, they're, they're the real deal. And a very balanced scoring effort last night as well. Davis led the way with 15. Boyd had 12. Forrest had 11. I'm telling you, those threes, Forrest, he goes three for six off the bench. Those threes really changed this game. I also liked what I saw from Vlad Golden. He, he's he been struggling a little bit, their big man, throughout the first few games of this tournament. But he has 12 total rebounds, or seven rebounds, excuse me, in this game. Two on the offensive side, five on the defensive side for FAU to get the win. And if you're Tennessee, obviously this loss is very disappointing, right? The fact that you beat Duke and the vibes were just so high and it all disappeared so quickly. Like, I understand why Vol fans are going to wake up upset this morning. Rick Barnes, he has not gotten to an Elite Eight as Tennessee coach. He is now 0-2 in the Sweet 16. He has struggled in the NCAA tournament. But this FAU team is the real deal. And we know that this Tennessee team was not very good 
on offense, scoring the basketball, especially without Zakai Ziegler. And the fact that they got to the Sweet 16, I think that that's a, a good year for Tennessee. I know that's not what Vol fans want to hear, but without Zakai Ziegler, you beat Duke, and you just got to keep knocking on that door. I, I know it's really frustrating. I know that you're going to go into next year's NCAA tournament thinking there's no hope, but this Tennessee team got to a second weekend, which is no small feat. At the end of the day, though, FAU, they are a really good team also that I think has a legitimate chance to get to a Final Four and beat Kansas State. Obviously, you're going to want that opportunity. Like The thing about this East region is from a very early point, we, we were seeing all these teams get knocked out. So if you were a team that was fortunate enough to get to the Sweet 16, you had to think you had a real shot to win it. And two programs that have had a lot of success in Michigan State and Tennessee, brand names that have a huge fan bases, they're definitely thinking they might have let one get away. But I'm really excited for Saturday's game between Florida Atlantic and Kansas State. Both of them have a lot of team of destiny feels to me, and one of them is going to go home. But this FAU team, man, what a squad. They are the real deal. They belong here. And 34-3 and now on the regular season, playing in a very tough Conference USA. This is not just your regular mid-major league. And the other thing about FAU, I should say as well, they have three power six transfers on this team. Golden, he came in from Texas Tech. Greenlee, shooter, transfer from Minnesota. And Gaffney, Jalen Gaffney, former top 100 recruit who uh, used to play at UConn. So there are some big-time players and big-time talents on this team. We know what Davis, Boyd, uh, and Martin could do. So watch out for this Florida Atlantic team. They are the real deal. Dusty May, what a coach. And I'm really looking forward to their game on Saturday against Kansas State. And if you're a Tennessee fan, you saw this coming. A lot of the national media were just dismissing FAU, but the Vols struggled to score. This FAU team could really shoot the ball, and they were not affected by Tennessee's physicality, unlike Duke. They were a tough team mentally and physically. And this team, man, Conference USA, mid-major, in the house, I think they could definitely get to the Final Four. Some thoughts on the other two games from last night. First off, we have to give a major shout-out to the UConn Huskies. This was one of their most just complete and dominant and best efforts of the season. Beating up on Arkansas in Vegas, they win that game 88-65. to And I was expecting UConn to win this game going in. I did have a little bit concerns of concerns, though, about a few things on their perspective, though, like mainly the coaching matchup, Muss versus Hurley. Muss is just such a great tournament coach, and as great of a job as he did against Kansas and really with this Arkansas season, like I just never thought this Arkansas team was good enough to make the Final Four. And I do think eventually Eric Musselman is going to get there, right? Kind of what I just said about Rick Barnes, and obviously most and Rick Barnes, they have two very different resumes when it comes to coaching in the NCAA tournament, but... Arkansas has now been to three straight Sweet 16s when they really couldn't get there under Mike Anderson. And this team, like, I'm very curious to see how Eric Musselman builds a roster going forward because there is no doubt the talent of Anthony Black and Nick Smith and Jordan Walsh was unreal. And those guys are going to be playing in the NBA. But Muss is at his best, I think, with the older team that might take some lumps and, and hits early in the season, but finds a way to figure it out at the end in the month of March. And I know this Arkansas team did the same thing, but really the only reason why they beat Kansas was because of two, three upperclassmen, Ricky Council, Devo Davis, even um, Kamani Johnson had a couple big plays in that one as well. 
But yesterday, from start to finish, UConn, they came to play. They were just the better, more dominant team. Jordan Hawkins, he finishes with 24, so no go with 18. And UConn has now played three games in this NCAA tournament against three really good coaches, right? In Rick Pitino, Randy Bennett, and Eric Musselman. And in those three games, UConn hasn't even sweat. They've really played well, and that is going to set up an epic, epic Elite Eight game coming up with Gonzaga. We'll get into their game against UCLA to end it. But Dan Hurley, he needed to have a big tournament run, right? He's done a really good job building up this UConn program, considering where it was when Kevin Ali was uh, was fired and Danny Hurley came in. And all of a sudden, after some disappointing tournament losses in the last two years, UConn is just one win away from going back to their first Final Four since 2014. And we know uh, what happened when they got to Dallas. And by the way, the last time, or actually this wasn't the last time, but UConn has had some success playing Final Fours in Texas. 2011 and 2014 are the ones that come to mind. So, should be a huge game between UConn and Arkansas. was really impressed how the Huskies came in right away, punched Arkansas in the mouth, and the Hogs really just had no answers whatsoever. I know Eric Musselman, he'll get there eventually one day. And the injuries of this Arkansas team suffered throughout the season as well. Like if Trevon Brazil never gets hurt, who knows what this Arkansas team could have been. If Nick Smith is healthy the whole season and didn't have to come back in the middle of February, who knows what this Arkansas team would have been. Devo Davis and Ricky Council, after playing so well against Kansas, by the way, they really struggled last night. A combined five of 22 from the field and two of six from three for those two guys. Anthony Black, he he had 20 points, but that was really the only offense Arkansas was getting. So a really nice job by UConn. And then we have to end this show talking about the game of games, the moment of all moments. Every time Gonzaga and UCLA meet up in the NCAA tournament, we see some crazy stuff go down. This was actually the 17-year anniversary to the date of the Adam Morrison crying game, UCLA-Gonzaga. We know how that one ended up. But the Zags actually got some payback and revenge for that shot only a few years ago when Jalen Suggs hit the buzzer beater to send the Bulldogs to the national championship game. And there were a couple things about this game that were just so wild. And, of course, with the Sug shot, that Gonzaga team and that UCLA team, they were much different. Like, that Gonzaga team was actually undefeated at that point. They hadn't lost a game. They were attempting to be the first team since Bobby Knight's Hoosiers to run through a regular season undefeated and a postseason undefeated as well. But Suggs hits the big shot. We know what happened. Gonzaga ends up losing to Baylor in the national championship game a couple days later. But, first of all, Prior to the season and really throughout the majority of the regular season, right, I have been really high on this UCLA team, mainly because they had guys that have been to the tournament, that have been there and done that. They are so good in close games. Mick Cronin, I know he had his tournament struggles at Cincinnati, but ever since he got to Westwood, he has won in this event. And when you look at Gonzaga, Mark Few, this is the one year they're a little bit off the radar, but when going back to UCLA... They lost Jalen Clark, which was a huge loss. He was their best defender, the Pac-12 defense player of the year, one of the most improved players in all of college basketball. He's gone, which was a killer, lower body injury, 
And I kind of knew at that point, man, it's going to be really hard for UCLA to win a national championship without this guy. And then they lose Adam Bona, one of the best freshman shot blockers in the country. And they have to put Kenny Nuba and Matt Etienne on Drew Timmy. That was never going to work. And I think we all know like just how good Drew Timmy is. But this guy is the best Gonzaga Bulldog of all time, right? He has to be 36-13 and 13 to lead Gonzaga over UCLA. And let's be honest about something. Drew Timmy was the only reason why the game was even close in the first half. Without him, UCLA runs Gonzaga out of the gym in the first half. Gonzaga, in the first half of that game, were just getting abused on the defensive side of the ball Campbell, Hawkes, Bailey, they are just being eaten alive. And shout out to Mark Few for recognizing Rasir Bolton, Nolan Hickman. By the way, those guys went a combined 0 of 5 from the the field and scored zero points. If you would have told anyone before the game that Gonzaga's starting backcourt of Nolan Hickman and Rasir Bolton would combine for zero points, I don't think anyone would have told you Gonzaga was winning this game. But this is why... College basketball is the best. Mark Few makes an adjustment and brings in Malachi Smith, the Chattanooga transfer, who is a former SoCon Player of the Year, who has been in this NCAA tournament before. He played uh, with Chattanooga there last year. And also Hunter Salas, former top 30 freshman. He comes in off the bench, plays great defense on Bailey and Hawkins. There was a a stretch, an 11-minute stretch in the second half where UCLA literally did not score a field goal. Gonzaga outscores the Bruins 46 to 30 in the second half. But even with that being said, UCLA was right there. They had the lead. Amari Bailey hits a clutch, clutch three to give UCLA the lead with about 10 seconds to play after Gonzaga's turning the ball over. Drew Timmy is missing free throws, and Julian Strather really saved not only Drew Timmy, but Gonzaga's bacon hitting the clutch shot of all clutch shots to give the Bulldogs the victory, and even after Tiger Campbell actually had a decent look at three to tie it, he was gassed, and what a run it was for this UCLA group. Like, I remember vividly in 2020, which was the season the NCAA tournament ended up being canceled, that was Mick Cronin's first year at UCLA, and there were a ton of questions that I had. Can Mick Cronin coach the Steve Alford-type player? You know, the guys that are former top 100 recruits that aren't used to his style and attitude and the way he coaches. But Mick Cronin, that hire has been a great, great move for this UCLA program. And in 2020, the Bruins really didn't get off to a great start. I'm pulling up their schedule right now. They lost a game at home to Hostra. They lost to BYU. They, they lost a game to Cal State Fullerton. UCLA in 2020 started eight and nine until they got to late January And that's also when Mick Cronin inserted some guy into the starting lineup named Jaime Jaquez. And Jaquez really changed UCLA season around that year. After starting off eight and nine, they finished 11 and three in their last 14 games before the NCAA tournament that year ended up being postponed. And then the following year, UCLA really had a disappointing regular season for the majority of it, but they found a way to play their best basketball at the best time heading into March Madness. We all remember Johnny Juzang and the success he had. And I'm just going to remember this UCLA group of seniors that Mick Cronin has really been there with since day one, since he arrived in Westwood. Tiger Campbell, Jaime Jaquez, 
Jalen Clark, David Singleton, Johnny Juzang, I'll throw into that group as well, even though he's no longer with the team. This was a special, special group for this UCLA team, and they'll be missed, man, and, and what a season they had. And I, I, I'm, I hate to do this to you if you're a Bruin fan, but if UCLA has Adam Bona and, more importantly, Jalen Clark, the whole tournament, I'm convinced they win the national championship. I, I really do. This team, I know they had an 11-minute scoring drought, but they just blitzed Gonzaga in the first half, and they just had no answer for Timmy. If they have Clark and Bona, really their two best defenders, I'm convinced UCLA wins that game and finds a way to win the national championship. But that, that's basketball, and that's what makes this tournament just so hard to win. And for Mark Few, man, it, it does feel like a team of destiny type uh, feeling for Gonzaga. Like, this team has struggled so much in the tournament. And when I say struggled, I, I should take that back. When I say struggled, I just mean struggled to win the big game and get over the hump and win the national championship. Like, they had it against Baylor. Like, I know... They never really stood a chance in that game, but they were the undefeated team going into that game. They were supposed to win that game. They were supposed to win last year against Arkansas in the Sweet 16. But I do find it interesting that the one time they're a little bit off the radar, the one time not a ton of people are really expecting them to win it all, they are in a good position, they're in the Elite Eight, and in a year in college basketball where we've said the whole season, it's so wide open, anyone has a legitimate chance to win it all, I would put Gonzaga right into that category, especially now after the way they beat TCU, after the way they beat UCLA. They have been trailing by at least eight points in each of their first three NCAA tournament games and have found ways to win. And I know that's not really a sustainable formula. Eventually that's going to bite you, but hopefully Gonzaga comes ready to play against UConn. And as good as Drew Timmy has been in this tournament so far, he hasn't really seen anything like Sonogo and Klingon, so that should be an interesting challenge. We kind of knew that Timmy was just going to dominate UCLA without Adembona. We, we kind of knew that Timmy was just going to dominate TCU without Eddie Lampkin. So when you look at this Gonzaga team, I think Mark Few is really proud of his guys considering there were just multiple times this year, whether it was early in the season against Baylor, whether it was early in the season against Texas, whether it was when they blew a huge lead to St. Mary's. They also lost to Loyola Marymount during um, WCC conference play at home, which is something you rarely see from this Gonzaga team losing random home games to teams, especially the teams not named St. Mary's in the middle of uh, WCC conference play. But Gonzaga this is still one of the premier programs in college basketball that just hasn't gotten enough credit or recognition considering just how good they've been because they haven't won the national championship yet. And I really do hope Mark Few eventually does get it because he deserves it. He's been doing this a long time and what a win last night after everyone thought they blew the game after that Amari Bailey three, nope, Gonzaga and Julian Strouder. They draw up the Jay Wright, Chris Jenkins, Villanova play the same exact shot. Also, that Strother actually beat BYU with at the buzzer earlier in the regular season. What a win for Gonzaga. What a game that was. I just wish Gonzaga and UCLA could play in the big dance every year because this was, of course, again, 17 years ago to the date that Adam Morrison was walking off the floor crying after UCLA found a way to beat Gonzaga. But, man, what a win for the Bulldogs. Every time these two teams match up in the big dance, something crazy happens. And Gonzaga against UConn in the Elite Eight for a trip to go to the Final Four. Are you kidding me? What a game that will be. And we have another four games tonight. Four more tickets being punched to the Elite Eight. Alabama-San Diego State. 
uh, Creighton against Princeton, Miami against Houston, Texas against Xavier. Fire me up. I can't wait. I'll talk to you guys next week.